0: Hello and welcome to Guiding Assets, the flagship investment podcast for CFA Institute. I'm Mike Wahlberg and we have a bit of a different show today, one that I'm personally really excited about. We aren't looking today at how you, the grown-ups, can apply new ideas to improving your investing success. Instead, we're going to hear a success story from noted author and economist Susan Hayes Culliton about how she managed to build a financial literacy program that's been rolled out in every high school in Ireland. Now, I'm sure many of you listening, like me, have volunteered your time over the years, either helping deliver programs through organizations like, say, Junior Achievement, or dreaming up ways to try to build that knowledge in the next gen from seats on CFA boards or other boards. I know it's certainly something that we've looked at, CFA Society of Vancouver. So if so, you know that it takes a lot more than just knowing stuff that 15 year olds don't. So we'll put it to Susan today to learn what worked, what didn't, and how others can follow in her footsteps. A CFA charter holder known as the Positive Economist, Susan is the managing director of the Hayes Collettin Group, which works with clients across Europe and the US. Welcome to the show, Susan.
1: Thank you very much indeed, Mike, and for that lovely introduction too.
0: You're most welcome. To start us off today, Susan, could you tell us what is Money Matters and how did you come to work on it?
1: Sure. So, Money Matters is a textbook that has been, indeed, as you say, rolled out into every secondary school in Har- in Ireland. We call secondary school or what you call high school, we call secondary school. And it is focusing on personal finance, entrepreneurship and investing. And if I tell you the story, Mike, about how it came to be, I, a couple of years ago, set up a business called Savvy Teens. And that is where we work with teenagers focusing on careers, communication and confidence as part of the Hayes Colleting Group. And I was tweeting about something that we were doing with the teenagers and CFA Society Ireland reached out to me and said, well, could we come in and talk to your teenagers around finance? And I said, well, you know what? I'm pretty much covering that area myself, but why don't we have a chat and why don't we see if we could do something much bigger? So we started talking about the idea of, imagine if we were to create a textbook that would be given to every teacher, handed into their hands, uh, every teacher who is in a secondary school in Ireland, who is focusing within that broad general area, whether they're a business teacher, accounting teacher, economics, maths, et cetera. And ultimately, that's where it began, Mike. I will say that there's three things that I think differentiates the initiative that we took for Money Matters as distinct to what probably has been tried a lot around the world. And, and you mentioned giving up, various people have given up a lot of time, and created great resources, etc. And I think there are three things that we did slightly differently. Number one was relationships. We had ultimately the right relationships at the right time. I had uh, co-authored the economics textbook for a similar level in Ireland. So for secondary school as well. So I had a good relationship with with our publisher. I knew CFA Ireland. uh, I knew those pretty well as well. And in addition, our Edcore publisher also had great relationships with some business teachers. So when it came to this, we all brought the best of what we had together. Number one, CFA Society Ireland, of course, they funded it. They worked with CFA globally uh, with this I had the experience of writing a textbook and I really, really, really know how to understand for teachers coming from. Edco, of course, they had the expertise in, in creating and distributing and publishing a textbook and then having the relationships with the teachers, understanding their challenges and also gi- getting great peer reviews from them also made a difference. So I would say having the right relationships is, is number one. But they can be in place and unless you have point number two, then the rest of it is, is not going to work and that is the sole focus of this week was all around understanding the teacher and the student. And you're totally right in what you said in your introduction. This isn't simply about teaching 15-year-olds stuff they don't know. It's teaching them what they want to learn. And there's a very big difference there between that. So if I just briefly talk you through where we looked at this from a teacher's point of view and a student's point of view. In Ireland, we have a unique opportunity in that we have transition year, which is what most students do around about 92% of students do this at age 16. So this is a year run by the school where the schools then can, they can focus on core subjects. They might also have an opportunity to maybe participate in a musical or set up a mini company or various other different things. A lot of them are tasked in going a work experience, et cetera. But the point I'm making is, is that teachers here have the opportunity to run a module around something that may be of interest to them, but of course of relevance to the students as well. And if you're tasked with that as a teacher, there is no curriculum. There is no, oh, here's just what you need to do in the same way that there would be for an exam-related class. So we knew that a teacher could be tasked with a lovely opportunity of running two classes a week for maybe six or eight or ten weeks, but not necessarily have a curriculum. And that's, and of course, teachers are very, very, very busy and if an awful lot to keep up with. So we want to give them something that was relevant, prepared, homework was done, and created, like, there was lots of PowerPoints included in it. It had cross-curricular references to other subjects, etc. And of course, as a student, well then, what we wanted to do was make it, again, relevant, exciting. We wanted to make this built all around a particular narrative. We wanted to pack it full of emotion and something that was really going to matter to them. And I think that is really what differentiates Money Matters is we put the teacher and the student right at the core. It's not, here's what we think young people should know. It's not about, oh, here's what we think is interesting. We truly, truly, truly stood in their shoes. And then the third thing, Mike, is that we were all aligned. We knew what the outcome was. The outcome was to put this book in front of teachers right around the country, but fundamentally it was about having it engaging enough so that it would be taught in Irish classrooms, and that's what we did.
0: So I had a chance to look at some of the modules of the program, Susan, and I can say it's it's very different from a standard textbook, but in a good way. Uh, It's very interactive. Uh, as you say, it uses story at its core, and it challenges students to really think through and discover the answers to questions that they didn't really know to ask. That's kind of what I felt like when I was looking at it. So to bring it al- alive a bit for listeners, uh, could you talk us through some examples from the curriculum and, and what they teach?
1: Well, I give you one of my toughest ones, I suppose, to write, and that one was the one to do with pensions, because how do you make a pension realistic or relevant for a 16-year-old? Well, here's, here's what I did. First of all, Every single chapter is bent around the story. So this one was bent around Sarah. Sarah started in her first job. She was so excited. She's going to be earning lots of money. She was going to go out for coffee and avocado breakfast on a Saturday morning. And she's going to bring her little sister to New York and oh, all sorts. And then our HR manager says, well, Sarah, what about a pension? She's like, yeah, right. I don't need one of them. I'm only 23. We're a lot. And then they said, Okay, well look, just come in, sit down, have a chat with us and let's see what we can do here. Because if you don't want a pension, then that means you're giving away free money to the government. She said, What? Free? What do you mean? Free money? Like define free. So then Sarah's explained the idea of tax relief. And then it's like, Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. So I know how to contribute in order to get this tax relief. And then she says, Oh look, you know what? I'm I'm really, I'm too young for this sort of thing. So why don't I wait for a few years? And then the HR advisor points out to her what she's giving up in terms of the funded opportunity from the company because they're going to contribute towards the pension. They talk about the impact or the opportunity cost of the power of compounding and about how the tax relief works on those compounded returns, etc. And that's what I mean by packet full of emotion, like, is that I didn't get into the nuts and bolts of what a pension is or how to even read a pension statement or anything else like that. We just follow Sarah's story. And I won't ruin the ending of what, of what Sarah does towards the end. But fundamentally, that's the way it works. And also, I have another, uh, in another chapter, the one about budgling, John and Irene, they want to move in together. And they're totally in love, of course, and they're, like, really looking forward to all that they're going to do. But, of course, in order to actually move in together, then they have to figure out if they can afford to do that. And the story starts off of where, like, John would love to go away on a stag, for a couple of days with his friends, and she would love to go on a shopping spree with her friends and all this sort of thing. of course they realize when they put their money together that they have not a hope of being able to move in together and certainly not have the lifestyle that they would like. And then the whole chapter works through where the reader is tasked with understanding how to navigate John and Irene's finances so that they can live happily ever after. And a range of others like that, like that's the way it works is, when it came to pension, setting up a business, Um, understanding how to invest in ETFs, in real estate investment trusts, uh, how to read an earnings report, how to calculate dividends and dividend yields, dividend sustainability, all of that type of thing. It all starts with a story and an objective and I bring them on an emotional roller coaster along the way.
0: Yeah, I thought that was interesting how you did that, how you sort of start with an idea that, you know, a teenager might have and I, I'm thinking of the example of Paul, who wants to invest in property, and he's upset that he only has a few thousand dollars, yeah. a few thousand pounds in the bank. And you kind of edge him into looking at alternatives. And I think in that example, it was REITs and saying sort of helping them understand that there are ways to get exposure to real estate if you don't have you know, a big income and a big down payment to start.
1: Well, Paul... And the character that that he grew into was indeed modelled on a Paul that I knew one time who had great ideas for investing. He just didn't have the money to back out. And he was really getting ready to go into property. The problem was he only indeed had 3,000 to work with. So I think that by bringing Paul on that journey and by helping him to distinguish between what's the difference between going directly into property, what you need to get there, the leverage that's needed to get there versus a real estate investment trust and the liquidity of it, but also how he can determine the local factors and the hyper-local factors as well as the very public factors of making an investment decision accordingly, then you bring the colour into the story, right? You really do. And there's no doubt about it. At the end of each chapter is an end of end of chapter series of exercises that are very real. I mean, there's what I'm trying to say here is that a textbook still needs to have text and it still needs to have substance and it needs to have content and it needs to, by the end of it, that you need to achieve the learning objectives. The method in which I got to it was through those stories. So anybody who would look at the book and at the end of each chapter, they would see that how I would have gotten there could have been the same as, you know, a lot of texts or a lot of case studies or various different things like that. But by packet full of emotions and interactions and all that sort of thing, then it's not more. It's it's more about genuinely knowledge acquisition as opposed to simply being exposed to certain content. And real estate investment trusts are far lesser known than exchange traded funds, which themselves are far lesser known than funds generally, which themselves are far less known than the ability to invest directly in the stock market, which is generally not very well known anyway among that cohort. So by, by navigating that from the point of view of taking on an ambition maybe that certain young people would have and, and showing them how they could navigate it and make the decisions for Paul along the way, that was what made it exciting for me and for them.
0: Yeah, I want to pull a little bit on that thread where you mentioned this idea of not being very well known in the markets in general, and and uh, you and I have talked before, and you referred to the uh, the potential bias that folks might come to this conversation uh, considering the market to be a a posh casino. I think you called it. So, (laughs) as I said up the top, there are a million decisions and a million challenges and opportunities that lay between having the idea and bringing it to fruition. This bias potentially is is one of those ideas. I'm, I'm curious. If you could talk to us about some of the challenges you encountered in getting to the finish line with Money Matters and, and and how you overcame those.
1: Okay, for a start, one of the things that I'm often asked when it comes to any type of stock market education for young people, and I'm involved in various different elements, including our own business, like I say. I can often get asked the question, are you not just teaching teenagers to gamble? Or is the stock market not just a posh casino? Indeed, that is my own germ. And it's not because I came up with it, but unfortunately it's been posed to me a few times. And I would say categorically, The role of Money Matters and of any type of financial literacy education is certainly not to teach anybody to gamble, but to understand the risks inherent, to understand what risk and reward really is and the interaction between the two. So I would certainly say that is among the challenges that's out there in financial literacy would be people's own bias about certain aspects of it. Same thing with debt. Is all debt bad? No. Okay, well, if it's not, well, then how do we distinguish between long-term debt and short-term debt, good debt and bad debt? So, of course, like, The reason that Money Matters is packed full of emotions is because money is an emotional topic. It really is. And when you read books like The Psychology of Money or any of the classics to do with it, we all know that we we can learn some behaviours and some attitudes towards them that we don't question, we're not critical of, because we feel like they've always been there. So understanding that in the first place and being able to factor that in as part of the journey, I think certainly is important. The second thing also I would say is that I'm going back to a point I've made already, Mike, about standing in the shoes of the teacher. Not every teacher is going to either be interested in or be confident in teaching when it comes to the stock market, particularly when there really isn't a precedent for it. So that's why one of the key aspects of the book is that it's dip in and about. Like I say, it's personal finance, it's entrepreneurship, and it's the stock market. So we go to a teacher who loves Dragon's Den and Shark Tank and doesn't want to spend their summer looking at all sorts of clips so that then they can design an activity in in school. We have all of that factored in there. We have others, and they're really brilliant, enthusiastic economists. And like me, if they're in Frankfurt, they take a selfie in front of the ECB and be all excited about monetary policy. Instead, of course, what we did was that we factored in those types of ECB explainers and all of those brilliant tools that have been put together. And the other thing, too, is that there was no point in us starting from scratch, Mike. I mean, there's a lot of investment that has gone into financial literacy over the years. So we brought in things like the National Consumer Agency's pension calculator to help Sarah make her decision about, about her job. And we brought in TrustNet.com, for example, that, that Paul used in order to help him make a decision about, about the real estate investment trusts. And we looked at the iShares website for fact sheets around the ETFs. And what we wanted to do was not create an entirely different financial literacy offering. We wanted to bring together and build momentum around all that had been done already. So that's the second thing I would say, is that I, I didn't want Money Matters to compete with anything. I wanted to be the glue. Well, uh, I, I, I wanted Money Matters to be the glue that would bring all of that that together. The third thing I will say is, I'm going back again to a point I made earlier about relationships. Relationships are really, like, they really are. The thing is, though, what you have to be as somebody the role that I certainly had to take anyway is that you have to navigate stakeholder analysis though. And I know that's a kind of a fancy dancy term for taking care of what people really wanted. And of course the people who you work with when it comes to CFA charter voters are extremely like, I mean we've all gone through the pathway of passing those exams. They're tough. And of course we, we are trained to a very high level. And of course we talk it when we love our jargon, we love our acronyms and everything else. And then On the other hand, though, I was also then like dealing with a publisher and the publisher is constrained by X number of pages and how many changes you can make to a design and those various different elements. And then you've got teachers who have got a bazillion things going on and there's an awful lot of things going on in schools and young people and whether it's trying to make certain decisions about career choices and how is this going to help me in my leaving search. That's the exam students do in Ireland when they're 18. So what I had to do was navigate that skillfully. And listen to what everybody wanted. And at the same time, at the end of the day, my name was on that front cover as the author. The book had to stop with me. So I needed to make sure that everybody's, what they wanted was certainly listened to and taken very much into consideration. But there was certainly times when I'd say, look, we can't expect a 16-year-old to be able to navigate portfolio volatility when they neither know what a portfolio or volatility is. So (laughs) there was times I needed to call it as, as I saw it. And the other thing too, Mike, is... As somebody that writes a book, you're not in the classroom with the student. That, and that, you have to remember that. And that sounds very obvious, but my point is, is that I couldn't say, oh yeah, you yeah, know, that's really what I meant. You, you haven't got the room to do that. The book has to stand at us all two feet. What you have to do, Mike, what you have to do is listen to what the teachers say when they give you peer peer review feedback. And not say, oh yeah, that's what I meant. Or the only reason I did that is, it doesn't matter what you meant. It doesn't matter what you intended. That book is your vehicle to stand on its own two feet, and you have to want it to be absolutely pulled apart by your stakeholders. Leave your ego like so far behind you, you can't even remember where it was because the outcome, the students, and the teachers are all that matter.
0: Yeah, that's good advice in general in life is to be open to and receiving and responding to to feedback and something that uh, yeah we could all we could all learn to do better. I'm sure. Um, I, actually wanted to just circle back on one thing you mentioned there about the testable stuff. So I imagine that that is one of the, one of the key priorities, I guess, of the, not only the teachers, but the, but the schools themselves is to find ways to weave things into this curriculum that can be applied to other testable material that they're looking at. So did you reverse engineer some of the material to meet some of those desired outcomes?
1: Well, because I had written the economics textbook co-authored that twice before that was totally regular practice as regards what i was well used to doing so what i had to reverse engineer were their, their learning outcomes that was different when you write an economic textbook to a curriculum the learning outcomes are there and then you work around that in the case of money matters i had the luxury you could say of building the the curriculum in <laughs> inverted commas the way in which i felt it was going to be most engaging and relevant to our respective audience while also tying in various different elements of of CFA methodologies as well. So, when you have that luxury, of course, you, there, how long can a piece of string be at the same time? So, that was the first thing we needed to do was actually decide on what the chapters were going to be. And then along the categories of personal finance, entrepreneurship, and investing. But after that, like I didn't have to work too hard at coming up with testable material because that was just muscle memory for me. And it's so like when it comes to financial literacy there's so many ways in which to make it testable so whether it is you know working out the power of compounding and looking at what what happens if you sequence a series of returns and i know there's some people now shivering in their boots at the thought of what actually this really means but when it is looking at the sequence of returns and the power of compounding or whether it is to do an empathy canvas for a customer if you're looking at this from the point of view of a teenager who wants to make money or if it is analyzing a series of fact sheets. Of ETFs and then picking out which one might be relevant for a particular investment case, or to compare the total expense ratios of ETFs as well, or to give Paul a different type of persona, and then ask him to decide which type of real estate investment trust that he would want, and um, or and I could go on and on and on here, Mike. But that bit wasn't hard because I have I was really I had the discipline really built up in that from uh, the two the two books before.
0: Now I, I know as well that you brought in some of your other work and experience into this project, which is working as with uh, matching mentors with, with students and that at uh, the element I'm thinking here, of course, is that each chapter has a profile of a CFA charter holder in there looking at the challenges they face, a sort of day-to-day life type write-up. So how'd you land on that idea and how does it further the learning for, for the students?
1: Well, that part was really critical and I think. For a range of reasons, that part was really critical. So I'll just go through every aspect of what you just asked me about. So we indeed, we do have another business called Active Fears AI, and that is totally focused on active fear learning and particularly through matching mentors uh, with mentees to particularly achieve a specific outcome. And I can explain all of that another day. But in this particular case, what we did was that there are 18 chapters and in each chapter, there is one CFA charter holder featured in each case. Now, how it actually came about was we wanted to make sure that CFA Society Ireland were extremely well represented in the book and not just in a a surface sort of a way. We really wanted to engineer CFA Society Ireland into the book, but at the same time, understanding that the content needed to be broader than that of what a CFA charter would study. And this was a really good way. And the reason it was really good is to go back and stand in the shoes of the teenager and the teacher again, is that at 16, you're making a lot of career decisions. And I work with thousands of teenagers every year, Mike. I know that they want to know, like, what do we do on a daily basis? Or what's the favourite part of our job? Or do we get to travel with our job? Or what do we learn in college that we really take forward? Or what soft skills do we need in order to become managerial? I could I could ream off a hundred questions that are top of mind. And by asking the CFA charge holders these questions and then putting them into the book, it actually gave a flavour of the breadth of careers that are possible through CFA Society Ireland but also the elements of careers that people characterise or chronicle their careers on. And it's interesting now as as the book is, is real and it's been in the schools now for two years, I use Money Matters as the workbook for some of our own work experiences that we coordinate with companies for teenagers and I actually have brought in another element as a result of that. And that is when we're teaching teenagers about LinkedIn. Again, a lot of them don't see the relevance for it. Sure, I'm not looking for a job yet. So they say. Their view changes on that within four days of work with me now. But anyway, and what we actually invite them to do is to connect with the CFA Charterholders profile in the book, to create a post on LinkedIn about why they've inspired them and to bend into their network from then on. And it teaches a lot of life skills in that regard. It teaches you how you can connect to people who you haven't directly met with. It can also show you how to follow somebody's story because I remember so well, Mike, so, so well, I remember having the interviews with those CFA chart holders and it was the week of the 14th of March, 2020. And I was t- like, you're talking, <laughs> you're talking to people about P ratios that were like 2.1 <laughs> or yeah. like we all remember those weeks when the stock market just went, it just absolutely no- dived and then of course it turned around again really quickly. But it was during that period of time when the language of finance, we were wondering about its relevance at this stage and about so much change in what our jobs were looking like and all that sort of thing. So when it came to actually writing those interviews, it was of another type. And a lot of them have become a lot more senior or they may have moved horizontally. And you know what's really funny, Mike, is when they see me in chapter two. Because if if I'm leading the work experience and then say, oh my God, you're profile in here too. And I said, well, yeah, I am a CFA charter owner. <laughs> and I do have a different story to everybody else that, that's in there. But... I do think it was. It's critical. It was because it gave a face, a human face, to CFA Society Ireland. It gave different career elements and insights, and also fundamentally, I didn't know it at the time, but it would go on to teach them a networking skill as well that will serve them forever.
0: So, what's what's next here? I, I understand you've been finding new disciplines to apply this this model to. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Well. For a start, our objective at the time was simply to get this to teachers and to, to go on and get it taught. So, first of all, that did happen. And we had a big PR campaign and everything else. And it was really brilliant to work work on that. And it was all around, you know, September 2021 was when we wanted to make sure that it was out there. And so it was in schools so for that full academic year. And now, as I say, we're moving on towards the second one. But it was just interesting what happened after that because then, I, like I say, I start then featuring the book in my own work experiences as the workbook and it's it's really interesting to see when your own work is being taught, when you're teaching it as well with them and it's 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 intriguing to see that. But then the initiative grew arms and legs. First of all, I then realised, Mike, going back to your own introduction, so many people want to be part of something like this but they may not have a relationship with a school or they may not be a content writer or they may not want to do something as big as we've done. But by actually offering people to be part of this you can open the vessel up to people to engage with it at the level that they want. So since then volunteers from CFA Society Ireland have come forward and said well I'd like to teach a chapter in a school as, as a visitor let's say or somebody else. We've had a range of people who said well I'd like to sponsor a class set for a school of maybe a school they were at school at themselves or in one of their area etc. And we ran a competition, well when I say we our publisher ran a competition and invited schools to apply for a class set where they would win them. Because remember, the books went to the teachers, and there was up to the teachers to decide what to do with them. A range of schools have now put them on their book lists, so the parents buy them and then they, their teenagers use them right throughout the year. But then things have evolved on from there, too. And I'll, I'll just give you three examples. At Number one, we have heard interest that other countries and other societies around the world are interested in potentially following this model. And by the way, if anybody is listening and they'd like to talk to us about doing that, please feel free to reach out and get in touch. I would love to share what we've learned and what has worked for us. Absolutely, I will wholeheartedly help in any way that I can.
0: What's the best way they can do that, Susan?
1: People are really well... So the the webpage that we have is thepositiveeconomist.com forward slash money matters, as you can imagine. Um, But also you can reach out to me directly. My email address, if it's okay to share it here, Mike, is... Susan at HayesCullerton.com. You can find me on Instagram, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, again, uh, wherever. Just, just I, uh, I have a unique surname. Uh, it came it comes from the combination of my name and my husband's name. So, you would find me. You will. You will certainly find me. But then, another development happened about a year and a half ago where uh, a woman that I, I know work with very closely, her name is Marguerite. Uh, Marguerite and Johnson & Johnson reached out to me and said, really like the model that you've created here. Do you think we could do something? in the line of STEM. So we're actually running, uh, we're, we're currently co-writing a book at the moment, it's called Engineering of the World, and that is going to run a similar model all around engineering. And I have the experience of creating money matters, this economic textbooks, etc. I know how to write a textbook, I know how to take on that peer review, I know how to make material relevant for that age group. She's an engineer and we have this brilliant uh working together relationship now where unless I can understand the content that goes in there and I've been at an amazing brilliant learning curve with her um it doesn't win and then and also vice versa I make sure that the content doesn't get too technical etc and so we're rolling that that book now will be in Irish secondary schools this September and uh, and it'll be very same it'll be rolled out across the board and we we do a range of things with it and then the third thing that's happened like which I didn't foresee this I didn't know I'd be I'd be saying this now but some companies have reached out to us and said, we would like to have a team building day or occasion. And we would love to community outreach at the same time. And a company reached out to us just a couple of weeks ago and said, well, could you facilitate this? Could Savvy teams? could the business facilitate this? But bring in our volunteers. We'll teach a chapter out of Money Matters. We're there, we'll actually coordinate and facilitate everything with our relationship with schools that we've now developed and fundamentally they get everything that they want they they're able to support the school they're able to do community outreach they're able to have a team bending day and we're just at the core of it helping them to do what they want to do in the best possible way and of course the school the students and the teachers benefit as well so it really has gone on and evolved from here Mike. and i am so excited to see what else can come because i am like you say i'm only warming up i really am (laughs) when it comes to this
0: Thank you for the amazing rundown on all the work you've done on Money Matters and and in other areas there. It's really exciting work. So we're down to the final question here, Susan, and, and that's as follows. What was your first job in the industry? And if you could go back and take yourself for coffee on your first day, what key piece of advice would you offer yourself?
1: Okay. What was my first job in the industry? It actually was, I was part of a stock market training company in Ireland. I was actually still in college at the time. Now my path, Mike has turned out to be very different than how I started. I studied financial maths and economics in in NUI Galway in the west of Ireland. And I had intended to want to become an actuary, which a lot of my uh, fellow classmates went on to do. And while I was in second year, I joined the business society. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I just didn't think it was possible until like way down the line. And I joined a stock market training company. And uh, I was intrigued, instantly intrigued, just how the stock market worked and everything else like that. And I still joined them part-time from when I was in second year. I went on to develop my own business unit within it, where I was giving a mentoring service afterwards on the technical aspects of finance. And then from there in uh, 2010, the year Ireland went into an IMF bailout. I set up uh, Hayes College with my then boyfriend, now husband, uh, Ari Culleton, and we created the Hayes College Group. So it started off then with a financial training business. We went on that, we created Savvy Teens, focusing on careers communication confidence for young people. It's also gone on now to where we have Active Fears AI, like I've mentioned, etc. So uh, finance ha- finance, and the stock market specifically has been a key element of the business throughout and in different ways with different demographics. And we're very fortunate we get to work with people all over the world. So that's the answer to your first question. And uh, as regards your second one, what key piece of advice would I give to myself back then? The same piece of advice I give myself today when I go out for coffee, and that is that is that relax a little bit, is that there's, there's while there's a lot of time, there's also a little time, but if you get too focused on either side of that, you can debilitate yourself entirely, and I think going after a big idea, bringing people with you, doing so consistently on a day-by-day basis, following up and following through, is fundamentally what will matter, and yes, we can have AI, and we can have different business trends and we can have a debt crisis and we can have all sorts of differences and changes and everything else. I think the fundamental side of, I'm going to finish this interview the way I started, which is relationships, empathy, and knowing where you want to go. That's probably the name of the game. And I have to keep listening to that advice every day.
0: I've been speaking today with Susan Hayes-Culleton, economist, five-time author, speaker, and managing director of the hayes Collinson Group, creator of the financial literacy program, Money Matters. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, Susan.
1: Thanks so much, Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure.
0: I'm Mike Wahlberg, and this is been Guiding Assets.